Music as a church ought to sound like it has courage to it. It ought to inspire us. So thank you, choir and orchestra, for that. Will you uh, find a listening sheet, please? It's in your worship bulletin. You don't have a listening sheet where the scripture is printed. Will you just raise your hand? You didn't get one coming in, but I want you to have one. You don't have one, raise your hand. All right, let's stand together and read God's word as one voice. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God, who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. As you're seated, would you take a Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians 12 for a larger reading, please? It's an easy mistake. The Corinthians certainly had made it. The spiritual world that surrounds all of human history, and certainly us this morning, that world of intelligence, reality, and power that is shaping and surrounding us this morning, a spiritual world. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, where could I go from your spirit? There isn't any place in the world that you could go. The Spirit of God is not already there. But he's invisible. And so it is easy to make mistakes about him, make really wrong ideas about the nature of the Holy Spirit. God told me to do this, somebody will say to me, or the Spirit told me to do that. People say that to me all the time, and I'm not always convinced that they've really accurately heard the Holy Spirit. And so that's what Paul's story of the pre-Christian Corinth church they, as when they were pagans, they believed those idols were really talking to them. They were thoroughgoing idolaters. They believed those idols were speaking to them. They did all sorts of crazy things because they thought those idols had told them to do so. But, of course, they weren't speaking. They're mute, says Paul. They don't have voices. They're not really there. And so you were being led astray. You were being fooled. Because the invisible world, the spiritual world is invisible, you were making mistakes. You were being led astray to what it really is like. It's enough, I admit, to make a reasonable person give up on the whole idea. To just disbelieve in a spiritual world, to disregard it as either impractical or dangerous or something that only crazy people talk about. Uh, reasonable folks, after a while, begin to say, well, I'm just not going to fool with that. I'm going to stick with the things that I can see, the things that I can know and uh, I'm not going to get drawn in. But the path of Christ is better. It was Jesus who designed the church to be filled with the Spirit. It was Jesus who poured the Spirit out onto a body like this. It was Jesus who told us to walk by the Spirit, to pray in the Spirit. We are to know well that invisible reality. He is to be the central truth about our church as we meet. 
Well, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's taking that tension up, and he says, I don't want you to be unaware of spiritual things. Your translation in verse 1 may say, I don't want you to be unaware of spiritual gifts, but that's really not what Paul says. He uses a much wider word, just spiritual things, all things about who he is, what he's like, what he's up to this morning, how you can encounter him. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of that. Uh, how could you be truly Christian and not know the invisible Holy Spirit in his presence? Uh, you would never know power. You would never know joy. So I don't want you to be ignorant of him. There's a great prophet here. Uh, everybody in the history of man who's ever served God well has done so out of a deep experience of the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus, our Lord, is this microphone on or is it only this one? Only this one. I'll st I'll, if I wander away, you say, go back there, go back there. Jesus, our Lord, in Luke 4 said, the Spirit of God is upon me or he has anointed me to preach to the poor. So Jesus is talking about an experience with the Holy Spirit. Until Acts 2, Peter was only a fisherman and a disciple. The Spirit of God came on him, and he became a, a preacher and a leader. Hear me again, everyone. No New Testament church can be a New Testament church without the Holy Spirit. He is the one who makes us who we are. He is the one who gives us the power we need. And so it is not God's will for us to stay ignorant, either deliberately or by mistake, to not know who he is and how he lives. May I speak to you just for a moment today about the Holy Spirit? You will know him, even though you cannot see him, by his loyalty to Jesus. He is invisible, but that doesn't mean he's unknowable. Jesus used to say, the Holy Spirit's like the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can see his effect. You see the leaves rustle as the wind goes by. While you can't see wind, you can see the effect of wind. Um, in the same way, the Holy Spirit, you cannot ever see him but you will know he is near by the effect that he has on human personality, that he binds that person to Jesus Christ, that he, he causes you to love Jesus, for Jesus to be alive and real, the central reality of your existence. And when that happens, it's the Holy Spirit. So in verse 3, Paul says, nobody speaking by the Holy Spirit says Jesus is accursed. He's probably thinking of his own pre-Christian life. As a Jewish persecutor, he was convinced that Jesus was cursed by God and a stain on the history of the world. He just hated Jesus. So what Paul's saying is, if this morning you are opposed to Jesus, or even more passively, you're just not his, you don't know anything about if you just know about Jesus, you made a decision when you were little, but you, your heart is not in love with Jesus Christ, then you are a stranger to the work of the Holy Spirit. In verse 3, he says, um, nobody, the converse is true, nobody can say Jesus is Lord 
except by that invisible work of that presence in your life. Now, Paul here is not saying the words. You can say Jesus is Lord with your lips. He's talking about nobody can really say that in actuality. Your marriage, your money, your private life, the way you use your lips, the way you love others. Nobody can declare that Jesus has actually become the Lord of all parts of your life apart from the active work of the Holy Spirit. And the way you see the Holy Spirit is by him having those effects. And notice, everybody, that no other experience is laid down as proof of his presence. It's not speaking in tongues, it's not ecstasy, it's not visions. The way you know that the Holy Spirit is present in the church is that he begins to connect people's hearts in love for Jesus Christ. You, you see them hitting their knees, they weep, they love him, they, they sacrifice all things for him. If you're bogged down and you love your career or your family or your health or your comfort or your political party or your if you love other things better you're not deeply in love with Jesus then you are still a stranger to the blessed work of this sweet spirit it is his finger you struggle today with besetting sin you say that Jesus is Lord but when your child misbehaves, you prove that he is not the Lord. Are you bored or restless or defeated? And the Spirit of God, who is near this morning, he is very near. He can do that promised work in your life. He can fill you in such a way that is no longer your flesh that dominates you, but him and his will and purposes, they, it dominates you. Jesus will actually be your Lord. It won't just be something you say. It really, he really will be the center of your life. May I speak to you this morning about the Holy Spirit? There's a great prophet. Second idea of the Spirit is that he is committed to be visible in the world. And that is verse 7. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I hear people say sometimes that the Spirit is by nature kind of shy. I don't, I don't believe that. He showed up at Pentecost, the sound of a hurricane and the sight of flaming torches. I don't think there's any timidity in the strong-shouldered Spirit. I just don't think that's true. Paul says in verse 7, the Spirit is absolutely committed manifesting himself in every believer. And phaneru'u is the Greek word that means to make visible what was invisible among before. He is going to, here's his plan. He is determined to be seen in the world. And the way he's going to do it is by making himself visible in your life, in my life, in people who are truly belong to Christ. When Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they see your good work and glorify your Father, he's speaking in agreement with this eternal plan that the Holy Spirit of God is determined to come live in your life, challenge your sin, call you to repentance, and in the purity of that active, obedient life, show himself to the world and show Jesus to the world in the same way. 
Um, maybe you would prefer a, a different plan. Maybe you would rather write on the sky in fire, I'm here, or speak with the booming voice of thunder, listen to me. I can't answer that. All I know is that he's made a different decision. Here's his Every heart, every heart that loves him, he's determined to manifest through that person his presence in the world. So you would expect then in the church this remarkable level of activity in the people of God. Energy, effect. Uh, obedient. You would see them moving because the Holy Spirit of God came and touched them and motivated them to action. If you are passive and unmotivated today, it is not the Holy Spirit. If you are bored and distracted and you just can hardly wait for church to be over because you checked the box and now you can go on and see a cowboy's game. It is not the Holy Spirit. If you do not feel the press of the Holy Spirit to get forward in your spiritual life, to more and more perfecting your confession of Christ and by faith, it's not the Holy Spirit. You have turned back to the flesh and you're doing religion out of the flesh. A few weeks ago, Pastor Chris, in his first Sunday as, as senior pastor, encouraged us to be, to be free in worship, obedient and responsive. And his very small request of you is that you just say amen, everyone. I'm doing my best. See, where the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. You don't have people all bound up and afraid of what anybody's going to say. Uh, what you, when the Spirit of the Lord comes, you have Christians who begin to be liberated to be who God made you to be. Um, Paul here says this presence of the Holy Spirit in a church like ours would energize us. You would see people pressing forward in both witness and work. They would volunteer, they would pray, they would sing, they would confess, they would give, they would work. It would look like an anthill of activity. And you can't control it. You can't decide who does what. You can't make it what you want it to be. But the Holy Spirit of God moving through the people of God would make you less inhibited, older, clearer. In the same way, Pastor Chris taught two weeks ago, repentance. And repentance, everybody, cannot be an idea that you put in your notebook. It is something you're supposed to do. The Holy Spirit of God comes into a church, and you're led by the Word, and He's the author of the Word. You go repent. You go face that part of your life that is contrary to the will of God, and you know it. You go face it. You go confess that before the Lord. You agree with the Lord. That is not what you wanted. 
And not only do you repent, but you believe. That's the Jesus rhythm. You repent of what is wrong. You believe what is right. You take into your heart what you believe God would have you be, and you start down that road. And so, again, people who talk about these things but never do them don't understand the Holy Spirit. Because he is very present, motivated, act. This Jesus who said, you here, you're sitting here and you realize somebody has something against you. You leave your offering. Don't even finish the worship. You go get that straight. He's motivating you. He's pushing you. He's saying, now, I mean, now, I mean, go obey me. Because it's there in that obedient activity, the world sees the presence of an invisible spirit. Now, there's lots more in this text that I won't be able to say to you today yet, but great prophet if you will go home and study. Paul will say there's going to be a lot of variety in the way the Holy Spirit works. We cannot expect everybody in the, in the church to be like us because it's not how it's going to work. It's actually a terrifying thing when you realize that there's only one of you in the world. And he didn't intend to make another one. That was your job. He really is pushing the mark here. He's saying, no, 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 I'm not going to create another one to do that job. You, you do that. Every single believer has the same, you get up here, you get up, do that. I made you, there'll be great variety. And in a miracle that's impossible for anyone else, all those differences won't send us off into separation, the centrifugal force. There'll be equal centripetal force, and it will hold us together. We'll all be different, and yet we'll have this remarkable loyalty to each other. We, we just will. It's the same Lord. It's the same Spirit. It's the same God. It's the same plan. And so there will be this remarkable loyalty, unity. E pluribus unum, out of many one, it has on our money. But everybody, that was the motto for the church before it was the motto for our nation. Only the Spirit of God can orchestrate unity. We're all very different, but we listen to the same Spirit before long. It's the symphony of sound that works in the world. Uh, in unity, there'll be responsibility. You've got to do you. You've got to do you. And there'll be great harmony. You'll value other people because you see the spiritual reality of this is this is supernatural. Everybody in the church is a supernatural idea. Nobody ever expected it to work. <laughs> I don't expect it to work unless the Spirit of God comes and begins to fill individual believers. And then all of a sudden you think, will you look at that? Will you look at that? For today's conversation, then let me just say one last point. The Spirit sets a level of priority on the various gifts. Look at verse 31, 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 31 says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. Wait, 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 wait. What? Paul, are you saying that if I have one gift, I'm to look with some envy towards somebody else who has a better gift, and I'm to want 
his gift? No. Paul here is speaking corporately as we meet and make decisions as a church, as we stick together corporately, some gifts are to be desired and elevated above the other. Verse 28, Paul says, God has appointed first apostles, second prophets, and then teachers. And maybe that's just the order of sequence of the way they came in history. But 31 convinces me different. He says, no, the list of, it's the list of relative values and usefulness for the gathered. These are the gifts that elevate, are elevated to a higher place of influence and leadership because they keep the word of God in the those word of Those word gifts, not because it elevates that person, but because it keeps the center of this body founded on God's word. It's an organizational preference to everybody. Gifts of prophecy and teaching. We're all, they know, if you can only have one, that's the one we hope to have. By the way, that's exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14. By both conviction and experience, First Baptist Church knows this wisdom well. A church flourishes if it keeps the Word of God centered. If you take this blessed book written by the Spirit of God and you keep it center of what you believe and what you do, you allow it to challenge you, you allow it to correct you, this book will make a healthy New Testament church because the Spirit will bless it. Okay, in Romans 8, 28, Paul is talking about the gospel, and he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for the law of the Spirit has set you free. And then he'll say, the law of life in Christ. You'll put those in, in, as equal. Can I just say to you this morning, your life in Christ is a gift from God, but it has a principle by which you're supposed to live it. And that's the law of the Spirit. If you don't know the Holy Spirit, he's not an active part of your life, if he's not your best friend and your centered leader, then there's no real way that you will ever know the, the reality of Jesus Christ being your Lord. This is God's plan. This is how he intended the church to work, is in the power of the Holy Spirit. The night of his resurrection, Jesus appeared to the disciples in the closed room. They're afraid. And he does this sort of terrible teaching. First he breathes. He breathes out so they can see. It's invisible. You can't see it. And then he says, now, gentlemen, when the Holy Spirit comes, you receive him. Don't you be afraid of him. Don't you be ignorant of him. Don't you try to find some other way to make the church work. Don't you avoid him. You go receive the Holy Spirit because in that way, the church of Jesus Christ is going to be established in the world, across the world. Having heard this teaching, do you have anything you need to say to God this morning? Anything you should pray, then let's do that together. Truth is, it, um, there are a lot of modern churches that are ignorant of the Holy Spirit. 
We don't talk about him much. We certainly don't instruct our young people. We, we do more to make sure our young people have a good job than that they know the Holy Spirit. We um, have figured out it's just hard to do this work, and so we've gone on without him often. Everybody, that's just an act of apology on your part. Say, I'm sorry. I have constructed a Christianity that never was expected to exist. Forgive me, God. Fill me with your spirit. Teach me this invisible one who can make holy. And truth is that some of us have grieved him so deeply by our words, of criticism, our unbelief, our immorality, that he weeps. And that's a different word. You say, Father. And, and I get it, everybody. You can say, well, he hit me first. And he started it. But the truth of the matter is, at the end of the day, the end of time, you'll have to answer for those things. Those can be confessed and ask for the sweet Holy Spirit to go back into your life and fill you with the power that you need. Lord, today, as Christians, deal with you and on the basis of being Christian on the basis of your forgiveness that we found in Christ. Why would we have gone back to the flesh to build a church or build a home or build a business? Why would we have, um, having begun by faith in Christ, would we have drifted away from your spiritual presence as our guide? Come and help us this morning. Um, have mercy on us. We believe you are generous, not because we have ever deserved it, because um, your heart says you have loved. Come help.